my view is that this should actually be a great career for both women and also other people from diverse backgrounds, because it's really a role where you're judged on your output. You know, at the end of a fund cycle, it's pretty clear to see whether you're a good investor or not a good investor. Welcome back to 14 Minute Mentor, the podcast brought to you by JVM, a search firm that places executives and future leaders into high growth startups and scale ups. I really hope you've enjoyed our VC feature series as much as I have. I've loved recording it and have learned tons from my chats with world class investors like Leila from Kindred and Antoine from Felix. They are hard acts to follow, but we are going out with a bang today as we wrap up this VC mini-series with the brilliant Hannah Seal, who is a partner at one of the most prestigious VCs in the world and a favorite JDM client, Index Ventures. Index is an international multi-stage venture capital firm investing in technology-enabled industry disruptors. Their portfolio includes multiple 40-minute mentors such as Unicorns, Anchor and Multiverse, and category-defining companies like Bloom and Wild and Sourceful. They've also invested in household names such as Deliveroo, Revolut, Glossier, and many, many more. In our chat today, Hannah shares how she moved from an operator role in tech to become a VC. Her thoughts on the European tech scene, plus she gives some fantastic advice for founders. We also discuss how she juggles motherhood with a very busy investor role. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Hannah Seal from Index Ventures. Hannah, welcome to 40 Minute Mentor. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, James. How are you? I'm very good. The sun is shining. We are not far off a ridiculous heat wave, which is a very unusual thing to say. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. And this is the perfect way to finish my week. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. Well, we always like to start the podcast by getting to know you a bit better. And we typically do that by some quick fire questions. So please finish these sentences after me. My first job was? A strategy consultant. Slide monkey. <laughs> Amazing. Did you enjoy it or were you desperate to leave? Hated it. Desperate to leave. Worst job I've ever had. Oh, really? Oh, that's so interesting. So many people on this podcast started their career in consulting. I think it's just the place to go when you leave university and you don't know what you want to do. That was why I ended up there. But yeah, definitely not the right career for me. <laughs> Fair enough. My first ever investment was? A company called Beamery. Ah, very well. Very. Uh, that's recruitment tech, isn't it? It is. HR Tech. I actually met the founder, Abacar, at an HR Tech conference in Paris. Ah, very interesting and very, very relevant, given what we do at JBM. The deal I am most proud of is? I love all my companies equally, but I'd say probably remote.com, given that they are just giving opportunity to people all around the world to get great jobs, regardless of where they're based. I love that. Thank you very much. I wish I had invested in? Probably Zoom. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, great business. I guess there are many businesses that just it just sort of exploded in the pandemic that just you, if you'd have got that first check in, yeah, you'd be able to retire, I'd imagine. Exactly. It was bad timing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The hardest part of being a VC is? Having to say no to great entrepreneurs. You can't always invest in every company you see. So um, unfortunately, we sometimes have to say no. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? I, but I think it's often about the way you do it, right? I think anyone listening to this as a founder that is going out raising investment is probably 
hopefully used to the fact that there are going to be a few notes along the way, but that shouldn't put you off. And finally, can you share something that we couldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a, a failure or a setback in your career that you've learned a lot from? Not a failure or a setback, but something that you couldn't learn from my CV that's not on there is that actually my first real job was not as a consultant. I actually, from the age of about four, probably used to work in my dad's office. So he had a very small law firm and he used to make my sister and I go and work in his office every Saturday without fail for you know half a day start off opening post and then sort of filing and admin. And I think it taught me, you know, good work ethic. But also, I remember going into his office just before I started index just to meet him for lunch and looked around and nothing had changed in about 25 years. It was still, you know, all paper based filing cabinets, no software, no tech at all. So I think actually that experience gave me the realization of how underpenetrated software is actually across most industries. You know, you think when you're in tech that, you know, software dominates the world and everyone is super sort of automated and tech forward and efficient. But actually, in most industries, that's just not the case at all. And I guess that's why I'm actually really excited to keep investing in B2B software, especially in sort of back office automation, where I think there's still a big opportunity. Amazing. What a great story. I love the fact your dad did that. That is that is a great sort of grounding in, like as you said, work ethic and just getting you used to those sorts of surroundings. My dad was a teacher, so he dragged me along to a fair few things as well. But yeah, not a law firm. That's very cool. That's very cool. Well, that's definitely a first to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I at the time I thought it was because he wanted us to sort of learn to work hard but I think it was probably just to give my mom a break for a few hours yeah probably (laughs) good stuff Uh, well thank you Anna already really excited to dig in some more of that stuff that we just talked about but before we talk about your life as a VC investor I know that you were an operator you started in consulting we'll brush over that because it doesn't sound like that was the happiest part of your career and then you were an e-commerce operator managing eBay's UK consumer marketplace business which must have been a very cool job so can you tell us a bit about your role at eBay and I guess why you just decided ultimately to leave and move into VC. And it'd be great just uh, for anyone that might be thinking about a similar sort of move, it'd be great to understand your your thought processes and, and what you found the most easy and difficult part of that move. Yeah. So at eBay, I was managing the consumer marketplace, which is, you know, people like you and I selling on eBay, which, as you said, is super interesting. And I'd been there for three years and I was actually about to leave to join Uber and take up another operating role there when a friend of mine who works in another fund said, oh, Hannah, have you considered going into VC? I think you'd really enjoy it because I was always sort of interested in tech and had been advising a few startups on the side. And she said, you know, I know all the funds in London. I think you'll like Index the most, connected us and met the Index team, saw quite how sort of diverse and brilliant they were and how much everyone just seemed to love what they were doing. And that was it. I, I decided to join them instead. Love that. Love that. And it's notoriously a difficult move to make. And I think we've seen operators make that move successfully, but it's not like you can just snap your fingers and become a, an investor. So can you tell us a bit about that process and, and what were the, the hardest parts that you found of making that transition? To be honest, it hasn't been a difficult transition for me because I absolutely love it. And I think it's a role that really suits my skill set. You know, I'm curious. I like the breadth of the role. I like working with founders. But I think as a former operator, you do have a tendency to sort of want to get in the weeds a little bit more than it then can be helpful sometimes. And you do have to remember that, you know, this isn't about your vision. 
our job as investors is to support the founders to build their dream and their vision, not to impose your own vision onto them. So I think that can often be one of the challenging things about coming from operating into investing. But overall, it's been a brilliant move. Never look back. Fantastic. That part about every meeting people at Index and how much they love their job. Everyone that I've met from Index is just so passionate about what they do. It really comes across. So I can see how that would have been infectious at the time. We actually had the pleasure of having Leila Zenia from Kindred on the earlier on in the series, who I know you know, and she comes from a similar operator background, talked about some of the skills that she used to transition. For you, from your scale-up experience and tech experience, what did you find the most useful skills that have helped you kind of crack on in VC? Because you've obviously moved into a a totally new role and done incredibly well. So it'd be great to understand what's really helped you. Sure. So firstly, Leila is absolutely brilliant. And having worked on some companies with her, I can tell you she's one of the most brilliant and supportive board members I've ever seen. So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of coming from sort of an operating background, I think one of the things that you really do bring with you is that sort of empathy with founders, you know, having sort of seen it firsthand, I think it can help you to really understand what they're going through. And I think the other thing is, you know, around really understanding how important talent is and seeing that, you know, one brilliant hire can really change the trajectory of a business. And I think that's something that's very relevant in in venture and when you're working with companies. And that's something that I definitely grasped when I was in various different operating roles. Brilliant. Music to my ears, that talent is so important and, and often the most uh, challenging part of, of founders' roles, I think, to, to get it right. And once you do get it right, it can be game-changing. For anyone listening to this podcast at the moment that is in an operator role, maybe in a marketplace business, that is really desperately keen to make this move, are there any particular pieces of advice you'd give them and particularly questions you think they should ask themselves before they make that transition? Because, you know, I've seen examples where it hasn't worked and I've seen examples like yourself where it's been like, a, a you know, you'll never look back. So what would you get anyone to think about that's thinking about that right now? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, venture is a career that really suits people who are very curious, people oriented because, you know, day in, day out, you're talking to founders, working with founders, talking to candidates and people who like a breadth of roles and sort of a breadth of experience. And I think if you're one of those people that really likes to see like very immediate impact from what you do, likes to get in the weeds and then have sort of immediate output and outcome, venture can be more challenging because you're doing lots of different things on a daily basis and the time horizons are long. You know, typically sort of invest in a company early and you don't see an, an outcome in terms of an exit for 10 or more years. So it can be hard to sort of understand, you know, how good you are at the job and what impact you're having in a short space of time. So I think it suits people who are comfortable with that and the ambiguity and the ups and downs. But if you're someone that really wants to sort of be in the weeds, showing output day in, day out, then operating may be a better fit than investing. Yeah, it's great advice. Thank you. I wanted to talk a bit about Index. Yeah, we've had the pleasure of working with you guys with some of your portfolio, like Anchor Store and Sourceful, whose founders have both come on the podcast. But for anyone that hasn't heard of the business before, can you tell us a bit about what Index Ventures really stands for? What differentiates it from other VCs? And what sorts of companies do you typically invest in? Sure. So we like to invest in companies that want to have a massive impact in the industry and really disrupt the industry in which they're operating and build sort of enduring and impactful businesses, which I'm sure many investors will, will come on here and tell you. I think what differentiates us from others is really the focus on founders 
everyone looks for ambitious founders, but I think we really spike on sort of mission driven, very high integrity founders, because we know that this is a long term journey, we're going to be working with these founders, hopefully sitting on the board for 10 or more years. So when we look at founders, we really think, is this someone that we want to be working with for for a decade or more? And, you know, I think that's something that we really sort of spike on at index. And the other thing we look for a lot is the ability of the founder to attract talent themselves. Obviously, you know this better than most, but it takes a lot of people around the table to to build a great company, not just the founder. So in the early days, we're really looking for founders who've been able to attract and hire people and identify people that are better than themselves at whatever task they're hired for. Yeah, so true. No, thank thank you very much. Lots of VCs, as you say, will talk a good game. And lots do talk a good game when it comes to being people focused, really supportive of founders. As you mentioned, Layla is amazing at that and like being there. And, and you could tell really lives and breathes it. It has very entrenched relationships with the founders that she invests in. And I know 100% that index are exactly the same from, you know, the portfolio that we've worked with and the relationships that um, those founders have with index is a really strong, really important thing. Can you share your take on what founders can expect from working with you, from working with Index? And what's it like for you being in that business? You've already given us a little snippet of it, but um, yeah, I think there's a real secret source at Index that I'm sure lots of other funds would uh, love to recreate. Sure. One of the main things is that Index has been around for nearly 30 years. And you know that gives us a, a really long-term perspective. With startups, it's never this like, linear journey up and to the right constantly. There's always ups and downs, however successful the company is you know, becomes in the long run. And I think that the fact that we've been around for so long does give us this sort of longer term perspective and ability to support founders through the ups and downs, especially the the challenging times that we're going through now and really sort of be supportive partners throughout the whole process. The other thing about Index, which is, is pretty unique and is really you know, one of our internal values is work as one. We obviously uh, have a number of different HQs. We've got London, New York, and San Francisco, and we really collaborate across all three geographies. And when a founder gets investment from Index, they don't just get investment from one person within Index. It's really the whole team across the US and Europe. And I think if you speak to our founders, they'll really resonate with that, that it's the entirety of Index, not even just the investment team, the strategist team, the talent team, the communication team, the network development team, there's a whole host of people with an index that are really there to support the founder. Definitely see why you want index on your team as a founder. I think there's uh, there's more than just the individual investor. There's so much more there that really comes across. Index has backed some incredible companies, some of the most iconic companies, I think, in, in recent times, the likes of Slack, Notion, Glossier, Multiverse, you know, a recent double unicorn, I think. You and Blair came on this podcast a little while back as well. So, um, so many incredible companies. What is it, and, and I'd be interested in your take and also maybe Index's general thesis, but what do you look for when you're assessing potential investments, uh, particularly right now? And what what really makes founders stand out that makes you want to kind of write those checks? So in terms of what we look for in a company, and I think I said this earlier, it's really around impact. We want to back companies that are going to have this enduring, long-term, lasting impact in their category and sort of change the world for the better. It sounds cheesy, but Multiverse is an example you just gave. It's a phenomenal business that transforming education, transforming opportunity, giving people from diverse backgrounds the opportunity to get jobs they would have never thought were open to them. So that's really sort of the vein in which we invest. And the types of founders that we look for, as I said earlier, is, you know, ambitious and hungry and smart, but also really have that mission and are in it for the right reasons, because they really care about what they're doing. They were sort of born to do this. They couldn't be doing anything else except for this. And as I said, sort of 
very high integrity, good people that are strong leaders and able to attract great talent to work with them. Yeah, I mean, all of that really stands out, I think, from our perspective as well. When you, it's so much easier to run a search for a company where there is a founder with those sorts of qualities, and they are real talent magnets. And, uh, you know, it's, it's also just a great pleasure to, frankly, work alongside brilliant people like that. So I can really see why your job is so interesting because you're talking to those sorts of people on a daily basis. I think there's some similarities in a way with the sorts of conversation we get to have. In terms of particular companies that you might be talking to right now or recently invested in, they could be Sunicorns or, you know, stealth type companies. But is there anything that you've invested in recently that you're, you're able to share that are really exciting you or any particular trends that you're seeing I'd love to know if there are any that you can talk about. And if so, what's really exciting about them? Sure. So I think we already mentioned multiverse and remote, which is obviously exciting given the times and their ability to help so many people. Another one that's that's a more recent investment, which sounds unsexy from the outside, but it's actually pretty exciting, is a company called Fanoa. And they're building a solution for global tax automation, which sounds very complex and tedious, but Ultimately, this is an absolutely enormous market, right? Taxes is a given. Whichever market you're operating in in the world, it's only getting more complicated. Companies are only becoming more global. So having to manage their taxes in multiple different jurisdictions is an absolute nightmare. And the company is enabling businesses to connect to the API and automate all of their taxes globally, seamlessly, and operate without having to be worried about you know tax compliance. So this, these are the sort of unsexy industries that I love because they're huge. They're often not yet being disrupted by technology, but you know, huge opportunities in the space. Yeah, what a, what a massive market. Yeah, not one that you'd necessarily grow up wanting to go kind of disrupt, but actually that's probably where the biggest opportunities are. I mean, they are the unsexy ones, as you say. So that's uh, I, I'm going to have to check that one out. I'm sure lots of other people listening to this will be doing the same. The other thing I'd say about that one and is aligned with how we think about founders is that the founders really started building the company. As you say, you don't sort of necessarily grow up thinking I'm going to build a business like this. But the three founders were Uber together. And they were trying to solve this problem at Uber and trying to find service providers that could help them with their taxes. They couldn't find any anyone, but they realized if they're having this problem, many other people are too. And they left Uber to go and solve this problem. So that's another type of founder that, that we really love. You know, founders that have actually experienced the problem that they're trying to solve firsthand and sort of left whatever they're doing to go out and solve this for themselves and for others in the same position. Yeah, amazing. Oh, thank you very much. That's definitely a one to watch, I think. I think we've seen and, and you've been a part of an incredible few years of, of VC investment. Uh, it's been an incredibly frothy market, commonly used phrase, but obviously things have changed. And, uh, you know, we're facing lots of uncertainty at the moment, an economic downturn. Frankly, a lot of founders will have never been through one before. So how are you supporting the founders that you work closely with in your portfolio and what advice would you share for any founders listening to this that you know are possibly sort of a little bit understandably anxious right now about the future yeah we've been talking to founders about this since the end of last year so this hasn't been sudden for us thankfully a lot of companies raised huge rounds last year during the frothy times that you mentioned so have plenty of dry powder and this is a great time to build to you know, stay heads down and build companies and many businesses will emerge much stronger out of this. And I think it's really important to remember that many, many generational companies were born out of downturns. So 
as much as these are really tough times, there are also times for big opportunities. But of course, we're, we're talking to founders about, you know, extending the burn, cutting unnecessary spending and, and focusing and making sure that underlying the business is a really, really resilient, strong business model. Really wise words of advice. I think another thing that's been talked about quite recently, we've seen lots of VCs coming over to Europe. We've seen you know, more funds being created. It's been a really exciting time. And as a result, our phone is always ringing with people saying, I want to work in VC, I want to move into VC. Uh, so I'd love to get your take on, and, and actually when we shared that we were doing this feature series on VC, a lot of people were interested in, oh, great, we'd love to talk a bit about the European VC ecosystem as opposed to you know everything in San Francisco and the US. So what's your sort of take on the current European VC landscape? What should we be really excited about when it comes to European tech over the years ahead? As you say, there is a lot more capital and attention on the European VC market. And I think the both the founder ambition level and the amount of capital that's in the market has really caught up with where the US is, which is super exciting and well overdue, in my opinion. And, you know, I think from an index perspective, we're super excited about this. The more great people that are coming to back European businesses, the better. And we think that collaboration is super important. So last year, we actually set up a dedicated seed fund where the intention of that fund was to collaborate with other people in the ecosystem, whether that's seed funds or solo GPs or angels. We always invest alongside others because we recognize, as you'll know, especially at the seed stage, it takes a village to build a company. And the more great people you have around the table supporting and helping the business, the better. So overall, I think this move of venture interest and, and money into Europe is a great thing for the whole ecosystem. No, that's that's really good to hear. And I think the, the collaboration piece is something that you don't often see in certain industries. And in the VC, I've, I've, you know, from doing more work in this space over the last few years, it's amazing to see the strength of relationships between different partners and different firms and how much cross-collaboration there is. I think that's that's quite a unique thing and definitely to the benefit of the wider ecosystem, I think. I think the other, you know, we're talking about some of the, the key things that have come up or we're asked about a lot. And one of the other things is probably unsurprisingly around diversity and inclusion. The industry hasn't always had the greatest reputation when it comes to investing in underrepresented founders. And there's not a huge number of women who have typically been at the sort of senior end of VC firms. You are a female partner in a VC yourself, have had you know an incredible impact at Index. So how have you found building a career in VC compared to your male counterparts? And what do you think needs to be done to make the VC industry as a whole, the venture industry as a whole, more representative of society? Yeah, so you're absolutely right, James. There is definitely more that needs to be done and it's nowhere near as representative as it, as it should be. My view is that this should actually be a great career for both women and also other people from diverse backgrounds, because it's really a role where you're judged on your output. You know, at the end of a fund cycle, it's pretty clear to see whether you're a good investor or not a good investor. So it's less subjective than it is objective. And I think that's really important for enabling people of all backgrounds to shine and really see who's sort of good at their job. And, you know, I have two young kids, so I've sort of seen how it is in this industry as a mom as well. And I really feel strongly that this is a great career to have as a woman. As I said, you know, it's very sort of output driven. So there's no FaceTime culture. You have a lot of autonomy over what you do. It's flexible hours. You can work from home if you need to. So in terms of balancing kind of motherhood and a career, I think actually Venture offers some great opportunities. And I would love to see more more women and, and mums in the industry because I think there's, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be. 
That's wonderful to hear. And I think that's not necessarily what you would instantly think. You know, if you don't know much about the space, you'd probably think it's so intense, you know, writing checks all the time, meeting founders 24-7. You're hard to manage that with a family. And yet I know Leila's got three kids, you've got two kids. So it's, it's lovely to see. I think it's increasingly, hopefully going to be the case that we do see a broader cross-section of society because I think it's also there's, and I remember speaking with Czech uh, from Aid Events about this, but I think if you bring more diverse people into the investing roles, you're going to be able to tap untapped areas of society that are ripe for disruption and there's just so much more opportunity. So I really hope in a few years' time, we won't need to be having these conversations. There's probably always going to be work that needs to be done, but it's great to see some some progress in the last few years. Are there any initiatives that Index are working on, whether it's to help DNI or social mobility or or support founders from underrepresented backgrounds? So one of the things that we are trying to do as a fund is invest in businesses that are helping to support people from from all different backgrounds and i think multiverse as you referenced before is an is a brilliant example of this you know they help school leavers many of whom are from diverse and also disadvantaged backgrounds to get jobs in companies that were previously only open to to those who went to elite universities so i think that's a really important business and also a really important thing to remember is that you've got to build the pipeline, you know, you've got to get the people coming in from the earlier stages to be able to fill fill the top ranks. And I think that's a brilliant initiative. And, and within VC, I also see amazing, diverse talent sort of coming up through the ranks. And obviously, there's more that we need to be doing. But I'm really positive about the future when I look around and see sort of who's rising up to the top. And it's definitely looking a lot more diverse than it has been historically. That's music to my ears. It's so great to hear. And I think Multiverse is a company. I mean, I know Sophie and you and both have come on the podcast and they've created something incredible there that is truly category defining. And I think lots of people of sort of our generation would have been just like the only option is to go to university. And, and there's so many people I know that shouldn't have gone to university that actually would have loved and thrived and not racked up anywhere near as much debt by going into an apprenticeship. And frankly, if I had my time again, I loved uni, don't get me wrong, it was great fun. But I really look on with great envy when I see apprentices at um, Multiverse going into Google and going into all these incredible companies. I think it's so great that there is a different path now, like a genuine alternative. And I think that's only going to kind of increase and, and hopefully become like a, you know, a, a, a massive part of society. Because as you say, I think, you know, creating social, this kind of advancing social mobility, giving people opportunity earlier will hopefully make this, particularly the tech space, a lot more diverse, which I think is better for everyone. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been awesome to chat. I'd like to just close with our standard wrap-up questions. So in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Index Ventures? Continuing doing what we're doing and finding category-defining companies to back. Love it. At the end of your career, what would you most like to be remembered for? Having invested in companies that have had a positive impact on society. That's a great one. And if you could be mentored by anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, I do have a mentor already who's alive, thankfully. Jan Hammer at Index. I don't know if you know him. Who was actually the one that hired me into Index when I was pretty clueless about venture and what to do. And he really took me under his wing. I mean, as you know, venture is really an apprenticeship. And the more sort of exposure you get and hearing how people look at companies and think about and analyze and diligence companies, 
the better. So he just really sort of supported me on my whole journey. Let me tag along with him to every sort of pitch meeting and portfolio company meeting and really sort of get to grips with how this industry works. So he has been a brilliant mentor to me and so many other people at Index. Amazing. And I know he is one of the most revered investors around. So what a great apprenticeship. And uh, you're clearly doing him proud. Uh, It's great to see. Finally, Hannah, what piece of advice, whether that's career or life advice, would you like to leave our listeners with? So some career advice that actually one of my other index colleagues, Neil Reimer, who's actually the founder of Index, always said, which has really stuck with me, which is, don't think about what can go wrong. Think about what could happen if things go right. And I think that's like the absolute motto you have to live by in venture. You can always imagine a million ways a company can fail, but that's not our job. Our job is to think, okay, if this doesn't fail, if this does succeed, where can this go? And that's where we get excited about companies. And that's where we invest. Brilliant. Hannah, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to see you again. Thank you for sharing a bit about your story and the amazing work that you're doing at Index. I'm sure there's going to be lots of founders there scribbling notes. And yeah, we'll really look forward to catching up again before too long. But thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Cool. Thanks, James. It's been fun. Cheers. Thank you. At JDM, we are huge fans of Index Ventures. And I had heard loads of amazing things about Hannah, and she certainly didn't disappoint. I loved her insights into what it's like to work in a VC, and her view that it's a really good option for working parents, or anyone else that's looking for a more flexible way of working, something that you may have been surprised to hear. And of course, I loved hearing about some of the amazing companies in Index's portfolio, like Remote, and why they closely look at the teams founders have built around them when assessing what companies to invest in. I hope you found this episode really insightful. And if you haven't listened to the rest of the feature series yet, please make sure you go through the archives and check them out. Before we kick off series eight, we have another feature series for you. And this one is focused on early stage founders. We'll be discussing the ups and downs of entrepreneurial life with some fantastic founders who will share bucket loads of mentorship and great advice for any of you that might be existing founders or aspiring entrepreneurs. So make sure you hit the subscribe button and tune in again next week for another 40 minutes of mentorship. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review or share it with your friends. We really appreciate your support. See you next week.